Good morning, Christ City. I am Lisa, and I am so glad to be here with you this morning. It's the last Sunday in January. How has a whole month of 2022 already gone by? We've been virtual this entire month, and I got to say, I feel it. I am eager to see you again. I'm ready to be worshiping together back in our very special sanctuaria at Minor, um, which we will be together next week, and I'm grateful for that. For today, I'm grateful for this space and for all this technology that helps keep us connected, even if through screens. We're a few weeks into a sermon series that will take us all the way through the Gospel of Mark. Over the next year, we'll take our time to explore the themes and stories from Mark that help us more clearly understand who Jesus is and what the kingdom of God is all about. Most of our small groups will go through the series together in their weekly discussions. I want to let you know again about the reading guide so you can follow along with it. Each week, you'll read through the section of scripture that was preached the Sunday before. It's a couple verses a day, and each day has a reflection question for you to consider. We hope it's something that will be helpful for you as we journey through this series. You can download it at the link in the chat, and it'll be in the sermon notes uh, for you to pick up uh, whenever, you're, whenever you're ready. So between now and Easter, we'll dig into the first six chapters of Mark. And the anchor verse for, for this section is Mark 1.15. And it says, The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As we read through and listen to these stories, we want to be asking questions about the identity of Jesus, who he is, what authority he has, and why he says and does the things we read about in the text. Studying this gospel together gives us time to question what it means to believe, to have faith, and to repent. What even is repentance? How is it more than just a churchy word we've grown up with that we skip past in the scriptures? How is it more than just a judgmental word that is shouted on a street corner or even an obscure religious word that maybe we have to ask Siri the definition for? We're being called to repentance in this gospel, away from something and towards another thing. What are we turning to? Drea mentioned last week that it's, it's possible that the author of Mark wrote this gospel account to a community of believers in order to remind them of the true center of the good news, the true values of the kingdom. I'm not sure if you're like me and really feel the need for that right now. I want to feel a fresh wind of passion and the energy that comes from understanding and experiencing the beautiful, subversive, powerful, simple, unconditionally loving, and fully liberating ways of the kingdom of God. I feel like I want to be reminded again. Admittedly, I forget so easily or get distracted by all the things. That's why the study in Mark is so timely, because we need to be reminded. Because as a community, we get the chance to remind one another, to tell each other new stories of how God is at work setting things right in our midst. Because the good news of Jesus isn't just about what happens after life. It's about how life right now is good news for you and for me and for our family and for our friends and for our enemies. There's an invitation here to us. 
from Mark who was writing to an audience who needed to be reminded. The invitation is to not be complacent, to remember, to repent, to turn again, or even for the first time, to the kingdom of God. In today's passage, there are two specific themes we'll consider that will serve as reminders of repentance, belief, and good news. Let's take a look at the passage. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up, and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So as with any good story, there's a setting, and there are characters, and there's a plot line. And you know the setting is the region of Galilee, right along the lakeshore. The characters are Jesus and the crowd and Levi. And as Jesus is walking along the lakeshore with the crowd, teaching them, he comes across Levi, a Jewish man who is sitting at his tax collector's booth. That was his job. This is where the plot thickens. Jesus does what most people in that day would have considered inconceivable. He says to Levi, the tax collector, follow me. Why is this so controversial and surprising? That's because tax collectors were hated by Jews in those days. They were considered accomplices to the oppressive, occupying empire of Rome. Tax collectors often exploited and extorted their own people for the sake of their personal economic security and job stability. As agents of the state, their work kept oppressive forces and systems in place, naturally. They were enemies and outcasts, completely despised by their own people. Beyond that social marginalization, tax collectors were also excluded from religious life. They were considered sinners and unclean by the very nature of their work, which involved constant contact with Roman Gentiles. They were ceremonially unfit for worship. Some commentators suggest that all that they also had little regard for God's law. They were morally corrupt and religiously unfit all the way around spiritually, socially, however you look at it, tax collectors were excluded and were on the margins. For Jesus, a well-respected religious teacher, to invite Levi, an enemy trader, to follow him was incomprehensible. I imagine the crowd being bewildered, speechless even, at this countercultural, if not revolutionary, act of inclusion. Perhaps a little surprising too is Levi's response. The passage says that he got up and followed him. He left his lucrative business and steady job security for an uncertain future with a traveling rabbi. What's easy to miss in the words that describe Levi's response are the echoes to something much deeper than him getting up off his chair and walking away from the booth. The words got up are also translated in other English versions of the Bible as arise or arose. Their reference and symbolism are linked to Jesus' death and resurrection. 
It's the same word from last week's passage that Drea preached. Jesus said to the paralytic, rise, take your pallet and go home. And the paralytic rose. As you might remember, he was also forgiven of his sins. This thematic get up, rise up, repetitive word will be used later in Mark when directly describing Jesus's resurrection. You see, it's not just a physical word. It's also a spiritual one. Levi was seen by Jesus. He was invited by Jesus to respond. He rose. He got up physically, and his actions embodied the spiritual shift that he was making. This is repentance. He stopped being one way and started being another. He stopped sitting, and he got up. He stopped exploiting people and started inviting them. He went from outcast to insider when he got up. His choice to leave old ways and old patterns and old habits meant a new life spiritually and socially. Did it come at a great cost? Yes. I suppose it was like death in some ways. Did it come with great gain? Yes. I suppose it was like resurrection, like getting a second chance at life in a lot of ways. That's the nature of repentance, of getting up. Of, of the good news of the kingdom of God. Levi got up. He didn't remain complacent or shrink back at Jesus' invitation. He stepped into a new kind of fullness and abundance. And, and I wonder what it means for you today to get up, to rise up. What do you sense is Jesus' invitation for you? Has there been something you've been feeling God encouraging you towards recently? Is it trusting God with a career change or maybe the need to commit more deeply to a relationship? Or conversely, maybe it's the need to step away from one that isn't healthy. Is the invitation to taking the next step to get free from an addiction that you've battled? Rising up for you could look like freedom and liberation from that thing that has entangled and controlled you for so long. Could it be trusting God to walk with you as you bravely become honest about your mental health challenges and finally move forward getting the help you need. Maybe rising up is being honest with God again about your doubt and the fact that faith has felt like wandering in a dark desert. Drea preached last week about healing. Have you been afraid to ask for healing? Get up. Don't remain complacent. Don't shrink back in the presence of divine invitation. Let me say it again. Don't shrink back in the presence of divine invitation. Rise up. Respond to Jesus' invitation with confidence. Remember, church, that it's not about how cleaned up your act is or how perfect your life is. Friends, this is Jesus. He is sufficient for all that you and I aren't. Rise up. Turn to him and believe the good news. That is the very first step. But it isn't the only step. You see, immediately after Levi got up and followed Jesus, he invited him over for dinner. But the passage is clear that it wasn't a dinner for the two new besties. Because of the transforming invitation that Levi got from Jesus, Levi turns around and extends his community the opportunity to share an evening of food and drinks with Jesus. The atmosphere would have been festive and maybe even a little extravagant. They were reclining around a table, talking and enjoying each other's company. 
eating meals together in the ancient Middle East was taken seriously and was a sign of intimacy and acceptance. Jesus accepted the outcast and the marginalized. He radically included the ones who had been excluded, those who were excluded, the sinful ones who might never step near the foot of a the near um, who might never step foot near a synagogue, accepted and enjoyed the company of a religious rabbi. And this story isn't just about what happened one night a couple thousand years ago when Jesus offered new life to a tax collector and his friends. This story is a paradigm of God's reconciling act towards humanity. It's a beautiful image of life in the kingdom. There's a jubilant banquet where Jesus is at the center, the forgotten are remembered, and all feel at home. And there's another action and theme in this passage that I want to turn our attention to. It has to do with seeing. Jesus, when he was walking along the lakeshore, saw Levi. And his seeing was followed by invitation and inclusion. But Jesus wasn't the only one who saw in the passage. And there's another kind of seeing that is far more insidious and, and in fact antithetical to kingdom sight. Let's take a look at verses 16 and 17. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was eating with Levi and his friends. The religious leaders saw him. Rather than resulting in genuine curiosity and open-mindedness, they saw and were suspicious and judgmental of him. Even though they asked the why question, we know that it wasn't genuine curiosity by the way that Jesus responded to them. There is a way that we can see things and people, right? We can see with kingdom eyes and respond with the kingdom values of love and justice and inclusion and grace. We can also choose to see in ways that are contrary to the kingdom that may even be well-meaning but are harmful all the same. Here's what I mean. I think that the Pharisees in that situation had a true desire to see the tax collectors and sinners become people of God. Problem is that they used a very non-kingdom strategy of exclusion to try and bring about that repentance. When exclusion is what follows our seeing, particularly seeing the outsiders and those on the margins, we're in danger of living in opposition to the kingdom of God. We need to take a step back and have a conversation with Jesus, asking him to help us see with kingdom eyes and to respond in kingdom ways. I came across a Facebook post this week that was a beautiful story of seeing in kingdom ways. My friend Jimmy Dorrell, who pastors the church under the bridge in Waco, Texas, wrote a memoriam about one of his church members who died last week. Here's the story of Kenneth Cucker, affectionately referred to as the Peppermint Man, as told by Jimmy. Our longtime friend and fellow church under the bridge troll died last week, but left a legacy unlike few folks I have ever known. 
He ran away from home at age 15, went to the war in Vietnam in the 60s, got PTSD, and then went to prison for a burglary. It was there in his cell that he picked up a Bible that he could understand, the NIV, which he read from cover to cover in just three days, and then knelt knelt down by his bed to cry out to God to save him. When Kenneth was released, he returned to Waco to begin his new life, only to be rejected by two churches who would not let him enter due to his appearance. Homeless and sleeping in a culvert, he then showed up at church under the bridge and asked if he could sit down and worship with us. (laughs) We told him he could be a deacon for just showing up. For the next 25 plus years, he became our friend. He asked thousands of questions, drove his raggedy truck, and even went to college classes. Kenneth even studied biblical Greek on his own. Besides sharing funds to the poor from his small veterans check, his joy was passing out peppermints to anyone he saw. He even used to throw them at me during the sermon time. He once asked me, why do Christians in the church reject people because of their appearance or peculiar ways? Tomorrow we will celebrate Kenneth's life. He called himself certifiably crazy due to his VA diagnosis. In retrospect, maybe he was more sane than most of us. I love that story of seeing they saw Kenneth. And when we choose to see through kingdom eyes and respond in kingdom ways, we have the privilege of knowing and experiencing the nearness of the kingdom through people like Kenneth, the peppermint man. The truth is, though, that sometimes we just don't see. Either we choose to ignore people or we structure our lives so that we don't have to come into contact with them. I have to confess, I'm guilty of being too busy right now to be present with people on the margins that I know God has put me in relationship with. My choice to add or maintain certain things in my schedule means I don't have the flexibility to spend time with them, to serve them, and to be served by them. I know that Jesus is offering me the invitation to slightly simplify my schedule in order to be with him among them. I can choose to say yes to this invitation and be liberated from the tyranny of an overloaded calendar that just keeps me distant. These special friends have significant obstacles in their way. And let's face it, I don't have the answers for their issues. I certainly can't fix their lives, but I can see them. And that is both a blessing to me and I think to them too. What's more is that I get to live into the good news ways of Jesus when I spend time with them. That is often tremendously life-giving. It shakes me out of the complacency that slowly dulls my soul. At the end of the passage, Jesus uses a parable to describe a spiritual reality. Throughout this whole section of scripture, Jesus was demonstrating a new way of living faithfully with God that stood in direct opposition to the empty religious rule-keeping and exclusionary judgmentalism that had become the norm. The new reality of the inbreaking kingdom of God would not fit with the old system. 
he tells the Pharisees, the religious leaders, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If they do, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And people do not pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. These references to patching cloth and stretching wineskins may be less relevant now than they were in Jesus' day, but their truth and their application still remains the same. New things can't always be mixed with old things in old ways. They're incompatible and have to be replaced. So here are some questions for us today. What are the paths and patterns of your life that seem to keep tearing apart because you're just trying to patch them up instead of reworking them all together? Repentance, turning wholeheartedly to the ways of Jesus brings life and liberation and healing. In what aspects of your life do you think that you, like Levi, need to get up? Maybe you're just feeling stuck and and you don't know how to get up from your circumstance. Have a conversation with Jesus before moving on to the next thing this morning. Maybe plan to chat with someone in your small group this week. One final question. What are some ways you need to see with kingdom sight? Who or how can you see like Jesus? I would invite you this week to consider this, these questions. Pray about them. Journal it out. The good news of the kingdom has come near. Repent and believe.